hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Yeah, you know, it's preseason, but we still like to win. Yeah, I mean, you're no, no stranger. Injuries, but... You're no stranger to uh, professional sports teams. Managing general partner of the Devils, of the Sixers. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. A, I'll call it a weirdo Wednesday because every Wednesday we come in, Damon, and it's a little bit weird. You played a weird bite and moment on live TV on the way back. We'll get to whatever that was with Joe Buck or whatever that was with a guy named Josh Harris, who owns a lot of teams now, as Buck was describing. And Harris is the new Dan Snyder. Hopefully he's not like the real Dan Snyder. That would be pretty creepy. It is Cofield and Company here on a Wednesday. We're live at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Justin Watkins going to be in for an extended period later in the show. He's one of the guys here. I was going to say the guy, but uh, Justin, great attorney, uh, good sports talker as well. Big college football fan in Oh, the doldrums of the Pac-12, all breaking up. He went to Oregon State. So we'll get into uh, a bunch of stuff, legal and otherwise, coming up after 4 o'clock. First of all, Damon, nice job with the Open. How are you, buddy? I'm great, and it's one of those things where if you know, you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. In 15 minutes, I'm just going to tell you, the last 24 hours have just been devastating for – some of my great sports heroes, and I think Damon might get on me a little later for acting a little immature when it comes to TikTok. I will admit I am immature when it comes to my sports heroes and just backbreaking moments coming out on the, in the news cycle. So we'll get to that. That's coming up in about 15. So we generally come out of the gates, giving a little pop to our lead in. Greg Salerno does this arena thing. They, they debate, and then some. sometimes they score it. Uh, you know, in Damon's case, they didn't score it. Uh, he lost, even though I heard him win like five or six of the contests, according to Jared, who was the judge that day. But he panicked, never announced a score. Um, I don't know if you just heard what happened. So Lindsay comes in from the sports staff. Greg is a guy over on comp, and he's kind of a jack of all trades, a master of eh, some of them. Um, but he's got his own show, two to three on Wednesdays. And Lindsay just came in from the morning show, morning tailgate over on Raider Nation Radio 920, and took him down and took him down pretty aggressively. Um, Lindsay is also part of the ESPN Las Vegas family because she's going to be doing the Treasure Island show that we're running out this Saturday. Throw the flag. So she went in. She repped both R&R 920 and ESPN well against Greg Salerno, who, I, as I keep pointing out, for some reason, the wacky FM DJ keeps trying to talk hardcore sports with us, and I don't, I don't get it at all. But did you notice what just happened? Seems the, like she won pretty easily. She won easily, but the week with you where you were deemed a loser, although there was no score announced, that thing went over so badly that their main moderator and judge, um, Doug, couldn't make it in today. He's got some other stuff going on. It's important stuff. But he felt it so important after the embarrassing performance by the fill-in judge and moderator that he's like, I will be on the phone for this so you guys don't F this up. So I, I'm, you know what? I'm glad they got the message because, you know, I'm, I'm rules guy, but Adam Hill is way beyond that. And if Adam found out there was another judging error with someone else from ESPN Las Vegas, there would absolutely be a conniption. Yeah, there were also no pushes when I was on. I didn't know that pushes were a thing on the show either. Oh, I, I think my score, I won five, two, and three. So there are three pushes. Um, yeah, there's pushes. Um, I, I can respect Doug on that. Sometimes both people either flop equally or 
perform well equally. But every week, 2 o'clock, we love the show. Even And no, it sounds like we're dumping on it. It's a great show. Uh, it's 2 o'clock. The Arena with Greg Salerno and uh, various people from the station. And I think they're about to roll out a, a mega lineup of celebrities from around the Valley coming up in the coming weeks. So live TV and live radio ain't easy, right? It's not. You can get caught in moments, embarrassing moments, uh, you know, stumbles, misinformation. You just lock up, tech issues. So the other night, we got Joe Buck, we got Trey Aikman on, and they bring in this cat, Josh Harris, who just got a hold of the Washington football team, paid north of what, five and a half, six billion dollars. And that clip you played, Buck is talking and he's got his hands out to the side making a point, right? But they're so far out and they're so low. Like when you hold out your hands to make a point, aren't they sort of like on an angle? Like I, I'm, I'm watching you right now because you're back in the studios. No one puts their hand down to the side. Like what is, what is this? They're up. Right? They're at your side. They might get low, but they're up. They're on an angle. No one would ever mistake that for, like, if I'm doing that next to somebody, no one would mistake that for, hey, I'm extending a hand. By the way, the other thing that's weird, and maybe this is in Buck's defense, if you're looking straight ahead, I think that's also strange when you're interviewing somebody, and Buck was doing that. So Buck was looking straight ahead, not looking at the subject who was in between Aikman and Buck during the television broadcast. And then we get this weird moment where Josh Harris is like, I think he wants a handshake. So then he goes to shake the hand. Buck then pulls the, I I think this is Buck's fault. Buck then pulls the, I feel a hand like Venus flytrap. Shut before Josh Harris can dig in. Cause you got to dig into the handshake. If you don't get in, then all you got is your fingers for power, and then your fingers get squeezed by even the weakest person. So we talk handshakes all the time on this show, and I, I, I thought we declared for the entire nation, and I don't know why people aren't listening to this, out of COVID, the rule is there's no more handshakes. It's just fist bumps. There's no confusion with a fist bump. And I doubt, imagine if Joe Buck were talking and he was had his fist up, like out to the side, it's just his fist. And then Josh Harris, Josh Harris is like, let me get in there and do a fist bump. No, it's, this thing was so flawed and it was all the fault of Joe Buck. Am I right? You're 100% right. It's Joe Buck's fault. First with the long pauses. And for me, it's the way his hand was out because he just kept it there. When you were making your hand motions, when people, when you talk with your hands, they're moving. He stopped moving for a second as he was still talking. He just stopped. He basically he put it out there. And with Josh Harris, I see why he thought he's he's running over my resume. I've accomplished a lot in my life. Yeah, put her there, pal. But it was weird. Is this Harris's fault? If well, I still think it's Buck's fault. If you're interviewing somebody, you never turn to them and acknowledge them. You just look straight at. Did they not want to do the interview? In was, his defense, was Joe Buck mad? They were on TV. That was the part of the broadcast uh, where they go the inside the booth. Into, the camera's looking into the room. But he I know won- Joe Buck's done like 85 billion times more TV than me. But isn't the camera supposed to peek in on a conversation? You don't have to sit there and stare at the camera. And then the subject, you're right, an NFL owner is like, okay, no one's looking at me. Now he wants to shake my hand. I don't know why he's looking at me. Okay, let me get in. Oh, no, he squeezed my hand. Let me get out. 
It was Harris it was, was a center. disaster. I know I get worked up about handshakes. It's an ongoing problem. Uh, it is one of the top ten problems in this country. We've got to fix this. And Joe Buck did no one favors. Should he issue an apology? Yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. I think actually, you know who I want the apology from? Uh, from Troy Aikman, who started laughing. And did nothing. <laughs> and did nothing except just laugh at the situation. I think he was laughing at Josh Harris. Because he looked Washington like an idiot. Team owner. Well, he he actually did. He got set up real badly, real badly. Um, and, you know, here's the thing. Um, we're not here to uh, – I'm not here to champion the owners in sports. A lot of them are a little bit weird. A lot of them are a little bit creepy. Which brings us to baseball. And they had a big interview today with the almost impossible to track down. I think you can track him down. He just doesn't want to do interviews. But John Fisher, our new baseball owner, if the rest of the baseball owners give it, go ahead. John Fisher did an interview. We're going to break it down in different parts of the show. But it's really interesting around baseball, Damon. So Dave Cavill, but more importantly, he's the president of the A's. More importantly, guys like Steve Hill, and Jeremy Guerra, I think it was more Hill, but Aguero was part of it, sold our state reps and local reps the bill of goods that we got to do this now. If baseball doesn't get Las Vegas in the fold now, if the A's aren't approved here, we're not getting a team. And those of us who follow sports and have followed the A's and know the health of the sport and the situations in other markets and stadium situations, we're like, did they actually just say that with a straight face that if we turn this down, we're not getting a team? You mean no other team would move here and we have no shot at expansion? The hottest market in the country, everyone is coming here, but baseball would drive a hard bargain and go, nope, we're out. You didn't accept that deal. Involving one of the shakiest franchises in the history of recent sports. You didn't accept that. We're out. We're anti-Vegas. And I really believe that a lot of those reps who voted yes believe that. That this was a one and done. Take it or leave it. You do it or baseball ain't coming. And how absurd is that when we see the news again today? Damon, how many situations around baseball have bad stadium situations? Right? And they're struggling like the Rays or they're having squabbles locally with the upkeep on their stadium or they want a big upgrade or they just want a new stadium. I mean, we're talking about pushing numbers up to four or five cities here. But the A's, if they were not accepted here, that was it. We were out of the mix. This is crazy. And now we're going to add the White Sox to the mix, by the way. And the White Sox have already been through this because if you remember, the reason that the uh, St. Pete Dome, one of it, you know, one of the reasons, it, it was built regardless, but that was used as a negotiating pawn back in the 80s when the White Sox got their new field. So now the White Sox are on the docket. Hey, we've got stadium issues. Baseball is, you want to talk about so overplaying a hand. How many cities do you think, and we've now set the standard, how many cities you think are going to pony up $380 million and then probably over a billion dollars in tax benefits? to these baseball teams who want to threaten their cities. Nashville isn't doing it, Chicago. 
Nashville's interested. I think Nashville is one of the cities that will put up big money. But I think Nashville, like a lot of cities, is just more interested in an expansion franchise. So now you've got at least, I mean, I don't think the Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks can squawk all they want about their you know, stadium funding uh, repair issues. I don't think they're going to move, although they've tried to use Henderson. And Henderson play, played the role for a little while. They tried to use Henderson in Nevada right here. Uh, our east side, Henderson. They tried to use Henderson as a negotiating play uh, a few years back. We'll get into the situation more. This is completely crazy. We are supposedly getting a baseball team. I don't know what Major League Baseball owners are doing, but, yeah, the latest news is now Chicago is threatening an exit. Milwaukee is doing the same. Arizona is talking about it. The Ray Stadium situation is putrid. By the way, you can hear the Orioles starting to line up down this path because just the other day, again, in the midst of a magical season for the Orioles, John Angelos, the owner, the son of Peter Angelos, who is not a great guy, and John sounds like he fell right next to the freaking tree. John Angelos sent out a message. Hey, you know what, guys? You want to keep this team and the core, young core together? We're going to have to raise ticket prices. Wait a second. So during the build, did you lower them by like 75%? And now you're going to raise it? Of course not. This, again, folks, this is the sport we have bought into. This is the sport we have committed $380 million to, and you should really pay attention to all these different cities and how those owners treat those cities and those fans. Because uh, get ready. The A's are probably coming. And this seems to be the blueprint in terms of the way you treat locals and fans around Major League Baseball. Not good. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, rolling on here on a Wednesday. Damon is alongside Steve Cofield. Uh, Justin Watkins coming up a little later on. Some good guests like Caleb Herring. And we'll have the debut of uh, another one of the writers and video folks from the Sporting Tribune, our good friends, uh, connected to Arash, covering LA, Vegas, and Hawaii. But uh, Jill Painter Lopez will be in a little later on, talk a little Dodgers, a little USC, some uh, Pacific time zone sports. So... We are just talking about where baseball is going right now. We uh, know we got duped a bit when we had uh, folks basically speaking on behalf of baseball saying that, hey, if you didn't, you don't give the money to the A's, uh-oh, there's going to be no other option to come to Vegas. Uh, right now, the current list, because the A's technically are still up in the air because the uh, ownership committee and the rest of the owners have to decide if they're going to waive a relocation fee, which right now that's what John Fisher wants, and that's what Rob Manfred wants. But the other owners could say, no, no, this is completely ridiculous. But right now, uh, it's, it's currently the A's, the Rays, the Diamondbacks, the Brewers, and the White Sox are now threatening, uh, their city, Chicago over issues with their stadium, which, uh, ain't great, but they're the ones who built it. And it's a little bit older now. Um, and I will also throw in the Orioles who now have a stadium situation. So you could have one, two, three, four, five, six teams, this baseball offseason crying, about their situation and threatening to move. Where are they all going? Where are they all going? Because there's only a certain number of cities out there that have the money. Because now we've set a standard. And by the way, by the way, we've set a standard of $380 million in public money. There better not be another team that gets to go to another city for a penny less than 380 from the freaking public, Delon. 
What if they do? I mean, well, you say that, but... Nothing we're going to be able to do about it, but uh, cry and moan and also point back to our uh, state and local politicians. Like, we were telling you the whole time, this is not a good deal, and that'll be real egg on the face if other cities get a baseball team and they pay less. It's a travesty. But, Steve, they don't have the tourism traction that we're going to have. Those other cities... They're not people want are gonna want to maybe you know go to a baseball game and then go to a show after. Okay. So good luck getting a team other city out there in the U.S. that you know will have a local right. fan base and the tourism attraction of people who want to come see their team. Now it all makes sense. Then, then then that's a pod, that's a feather in our cap. We should have paid less. Those cities are crap. They should have to overpay. But we needed to pay more <laughs> to get them here. No, we didn't. We already we already paid. We already did our entry into professional sports with uh, Bill Foley knocking down the wall with the NHL and then buying our way into the NFL with Mark Davis and Raj and you know Jerry Jones helping out. So John Fisher actually spoke to the RJ and uh, Mick Akers, who's done a bang up job covering the A's side of things. Um, I think one of the fascinating things to follow, Damon and Damon is with us now over from Raider Nation Radio 920. So he covered a lot of Raiders the last couple of years. John Fisher was asked about his unkind words, uh, check that, about Mark Davis's unkind words for A's management. And I think this means something, the way he's saying this. Maybe it's all window dressing. Uh, but John Fisher did try to apologize for how poorly the Raiders were treated in that squabble out at the Coliseum in Oakland. He said, when the Raiders were leaving Oakland, we were co-tenants at the Coliseum, and the A's probably didn't make it the easiest on Mark Davis and the Raiders as they left town. That's on me. That was my responsibility. I told that to Mark, and I called him when we were coming to Las Vegas to get to know the community. How do you think Mark Davis took that? Because Davis, like that night when we had that breaking news kind of out of nowhere that the A's wanted to come here, they had entered into an agreement with, uh, at the time, station casinos and... They were going to try to develop the property right up the road from Allegiant at the Wild Wild West site on Tropicana. How long do you think Mark Davis had to – do you think he cooled down since he said it? you think he was totally cool on this phone call? Or was he – I wonder if he was blown away. I wonder if there was an intermediary who said, hey, you know what? Fisher's going to call. He wants to talk to you. I wonder how that went. He was cool, calm, and collected because he knew Fisher was you calling think? to kiss the ring. You think he was calling to kiss the ring. So you accept that phone call, mm. you know, everything, you know, maybe there was some bad blood. Maybe Mark Davis still doesn't like the guy. But when he's calling to eat a, eat a, eat a little bit of humble pie, you take that call every day of the week. You uh, you accept apologies that easily on people you feel burned you and made your life miserable. If he groveled enough. Yes, we weren't we weren't privy to this phone call. But just that little um, bit. You know. I think there was a little bit more. He was more apologetic on the phone call. Mark. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I take, I take the phone call and I accept the apology, but I'm not really accepting it. Yeah, it's yeah. going to take more. It's going to take a lot more to a, than a phone call. I mean, if I have deep seated feelings with someone who burned me in the past, um, I may try to be understanding and try to help close up the wound, but the wound ain't closed until I actually see action behind the words. It doesn't, what does it matter? Right, sorry, that was my fault. My bad. I shouldn't have done that. We're coming to the city. Uh, you know, we want to be welcome with open arms. Do you have any advice? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of points of advice, but I'm not going to forget. And I'm going to be really, I'm going to be really leery moving forward uh, with our relationship because uh, it's gone from what ice cold to 
maybe I don't know. It's it ain't lukewarm. I don't. It's 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 not to, it's not back to warm just because you called up once. So th- this is this relationship is going to be really weird. But I did think it was interesting in the interview to Mon that uh, Fisher said I told him that I apologize to the extent that we made those mistakes when the Raiders were moving to Oakland. That was my fault, and I was sorry for it. Having said all of that, um, I think they have done a fantastic job. Blah 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 blah. So we would love to work on things together. He knows who's got the power in this city now. He knows who could end the A's with the with the snap of a finger. He knows that now. He's got to kiss the ring. Steve, it's about having that power, that leverage over somebody. So, yes, the phone call, that was great. That put a smile on his face. But he knows he's going to be walking around eggshells on this city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is Mark Davis's town. Uh, yeah, I would be disappointed if, if Mark uh, forgave him immediately. But it does not rank up with the uh, disappointment that I wanted to express today over a couple of things. You told me during the show yesterday, I was like, no, I don't have the mental fortitude to withstand this news right now. And I just shut it down. Because I am a child. I admit that. I'm not trying to be bossy. It was like, I don't think I can hold it together, Damon. What did you tell me yesterday during the show about my favorite all-time quarterback in the history of the National Football League as of about four months ago? After 12 years, Aaron Rodgers and State Farm have parted ways. No. No. Uh, it was one of my favorite ad campaigns. I love the man, Aaron Rodgers. Not like a father, because I will talk about the man I love like a father in a couple of minutes. Uh, this is heartbreaking. It's one of the great ad campaigns and partnerships. Um, now, did I sign up for State Farm? <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, it didn't work that well. Um <laughs> I mean, eventually I will, right? Well, either have our insurance canceled, and it'll be one carrier, or uh, something will happen with my current carrier, and I'll be like, well, Aaron Rodgers said it was good. Although now, you know, I could deal with that insurance company when A-Rodg was pitching them, and there were two Jakes. There were two generations of Jakes. You remember that? Uh, but if Patrick Mahomes is going to be the only guy, and then you remember. So, again, the, the breaking news is insurance deal, 12 years, got $3 million a year, uh, it finally ended. They broke up. The insurance company is done with Aaron Rodgers. They've now moved on to, I guess, full-time with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, in this market, is that do they not care about having homes and cars insured here in, in Las Vegas? I mean, how many Las Vegas would be like, Patrick Mahomes is your spokesperson? I mean, Raider Nation ain't going to be cool with that. This isn't their first time they've had to make this decision. I, I wonder... And I'm, I'm doing this tongue-in-cheek. Tongue I wonder in Chicago if that insurance company's numbers actually did go down for a while because Aaron Rodgers was the guy. Cause, and then he's doing the, you know, the freaking, the discount double check. He's got to retire the celebration now. And then going, oh, no, 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 no. That's a, you know what? You don't get Justin that, Steve. Watkins, you don't get that. Justin Watkins is coming up next hour. I wonder if one side or the other had an agreement. First of all, who came up with it? Was it the insurance company or was it Rodgers? Like, who has the rights to that cele- the celebration? And if he went to – this is serious. This is my guy on Rod. No, you don't laugh. No. No. We don't laugh. We don't laugh at Aaron Rodgers. We watch Hard Knocks and we laugh with him, okay? But we have an understanding on the show. This is a beautiful man. He is the leader of my Jets. Did you, By the way, did you buy his hat? Did you go online and buy the uh, Cherish Every Moment hat? No. I have seven on the way. No all way. Different colors. Yes, I bought them all. 
fitted snapback, that stupid Velcro back, that little pulley thing that you do with you, you pop the tab and you pull it. What other kind of hats can we have? I think I bought a bucket hat. I think I've got a branded cherish every moment cowboy hat. Um, I'd probably give that to you since you're cowboy cotton. Wasn't it the little but, uh, things or what was it? It probably was cherished the little things. I don't have the hat on right now. I'm not reading it. <laughs> you're, always, you're always getting in the way on the show with your malicious facts. Please cut it out. All right. We got Caleb Heron coming up. We'll get his reaction to some of the, uh, this, this is really Aaron Rodgers news. And also uh, Caleb is a big NBA fan as am I. And uh, my extended family, my second dad, um, man, Someone's got to step up for Lonzo Ball. He did himself, but Stephen A is getting all over him. And LeVar, you got to step back into the picture, man. You got to be bombastic. You got to be loud. You got to defend the kid because people are really talking a lot of trash on his knee. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Caleb Herring coming up in just a couple minutes, former UNLV quarterback, one of the voices of UNLV football, a co-host of the Barry Odom radio show, which, by the way, is starting up next Wednesday. So after Cofield and company in this slot on this day at 6 o'clock, live at Parkway Tavern. And we definitely want an audience there. So come on out, meet the coach. I'm sure more coaches are going to be along throughout the season, maybe some players as well, a, a bigger, better coaches show. Uh, Barry Odom very much into it. So uh, that's coming up on August 30th. And then throughout the season, every Wednesday, 6 o'clock, right here on ESPN Las Vegas. So I was just talking about the devastation I felt. Uh, no more insurance commercials, at least the uh, the old insurance company, State Farm, for Aaron Rodgers. He's done. He was making about $3 million a year. They've moved away from each other, now going with the uh, biggest star quarterback in the league. They've been using him already. And one Patrick Mahomes. That breaks my heart. You know how much I love Aaron Rodgers. I always have. Don't ever get it wrong. Uh, yeah, with the Jets has helped things. I've always been a family of a family, a fan of the Ball family. I like Lavar. I think he's a great dad. He's developed his kids into big earners. Lonzo's run into uh, some issues here, and Stephen A was getting on Lonzo Ball. Can we fire this? Come on, Stephen A. What are you doing? You really gonna sit poolside on the bench and think because you getting up and sitting down and getting up and sitting down that makes you healthy? Does that have anything to do with running up and down a damn court for 30, 35 minutes a night? Come on, bro. Come on now. So that's all I'm going to say. You know, I, I'm, like, I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm like, really? And then you got these idiotic trolls all over social media. And, and, and of course, you know, these websites, the Bleacher Report and others. Oh, he really tore into Stephen A. Don't you have the stats? Don't you know how many games he's missed? Hey, guys, don't y'all see me walking all the time? Don't you see me running around in here when I got to run from one room to another? Okay? I've had a cracked patella. I still got a six-inch screw on my knee. If I go on a basketball court and I play for 20 or 30 minutes, I got to ice my damn knee and I don't feel like playing for another month. Does that mean that I'm healthy? Really? That don't, make, don't, don't let me get all up on, on, in y'all. Okay? Stop the nonsense. Now, maybe you can get up and get down. Maybe somebody exaggerate. All right, you know, all right, you can stand up and sit down. Bro, you ain't healthy. You've missed about 48%. Damn. Stephen A. tearing into Lonzo Ball. How dare he do this? I'm now an enemy of Stephen A. Smith, or he's my enemy. 
Uh, he was actually reacting to what? Do we have the uh, the Alonzo video where he was stepping up and down? He was kind of yelling at Stephen A that he doesn't have sources about how hurt Lonzo really is. Stephen A, who are your sources, bro? Please, please tell me who your sources are. Come on, man. Come on, man. You got to stop yapping. And I actually like you, man. I don't even know you like that. But I like you. I'm coming back, man. Come on. Okay. Well, we know what time it is, right, Damon? What time is it? Who needs to uh, step up and step in? Oh, yeah. LeVar Ball, baby. Unleash the beast. And you may want to give Molly the day off that day. <laughs> because she misunderstood switching gears. Uh, so let's not have that problem again. Although maybe that's gone now that Jalen Rose isn't around to complain about it at home. Um, ESPN or whoever banned LeVar Ball. If you're going to talk about, in essence, my brother, because if you remember when we did have LeVar, LeVar Ball on about five years ago, I told him that I actually wish he was my dad. Um, he laughed, which I sort of suggested, like, I don't need any more kids, and especially one that's not an earner. I get it. Okay, I'm not good enough. That's fine. But I love these guys, and there is no reason for Stephen A to be bashing on Lonzo Ball. He'll be back eventually. Knee injuries take a long time, um, and please do not – let's not talk about – the regeneration ability, the recovery ability of a 25-year-old and a, what is Stephen A, 55? A little different. Right, Damon? Another old head. Yeah. Another old head. I Another old it. head lecture and all. Lecture on all of us. I don't I play need... basketball. My knee hurts. Okay, Stephen A. And also. <laughs> You're 50-something years old. Lonzo had to make that video because Stephen A said he struggles getting up while he's sitting down. So he made the video. Look, I can get up while sitting down. No problem. He didn't say he was healthy. He's he said that he's probably going to miss all of this coming season. But then, but then uh, Stephen A's got to change the argument after he sees the video. Well, you know that's that's not healthy. All right, Stephen A, let it go, let it go. Coming up, Caleb Herring. We'll get into a little UNLV football. Also, some more on Hard Knocks and Aaron Rodgers. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. All right, time to bring in Caleb Herring. You heard it. Caleb, what's going on, buddy? Hey, what's going on, Steve? How you guys doing? Uh, we're good. DeMond's here as well. And uh, guess what? College football, UNLV opens up in a little over a week. But this weekend, we've got Mountain West Conference teams in action. And the season openers, week zero for a bunch of other schools. This is our favorite time of the year. Sorry for everyone at home. Football started. Yeah, I told the wife and the kids, like, yeah, you guys had your time. Summer, I was there. I was available, but it's over. Okay, football time is here. College football kicks off this weekend. I'm fired up about it. Uh, like you mentioned, some Mountain West opponents, so some early scout report details are going to be had. You know, we're going to have some more information on the Spartans, at least a little period preview. They're playing the Trojans, so there'll be something to tune into on Saturday, which just gets me fired up. I mean, college football is where it's at, and you know that. I'm, I'm very passionate. I love the thrill of the game, and I'm, I'm just excited to have it right back around the corner. Well, you know, one of the things I really like about covering uh, the Rebels in basketball, men's basketball, women's basketball, and in uh, football is the stories on the kids and their maturation over the years and the guys who emerge. And a lot of that's off the field and a lot of it's in game. Like I talk to you all the time about how the quarterbacks react when things aren't going well and what they do when they come to the sideline, how they talk to teammates, how they talk to coaches. 
And there's probably no better person to watch and kind of see how he operates and why he's been so good than Aaron Rodgers. And I think that was part of the mix this week on Hard Knocks, right, about different roles on the team and the different personalities in football. Yeah, it, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys who's gotten to the point where he's so comfortable at his position and with who he is on the field and what he does and what he represents. The coach on the field term is, is doesn't even apply to him anymore because he, he sounds like a coach on the sideline as well. When he comes off, he's as calm, cool, and collected as, as you could be and for an in-game situation. And some of the things that he says, you know, when he's mic'd up uh, in the hard knocks, you know, I love it. I'm kind of a football geek in this regard because those are the things that, to me, separate greatness from good. Like, there's guys that can physically perform being a quarterback, but the demeanor, the approach, the professionalism that he has on the sideline, even when mentoring, you know, he's not playing in the preseason right now with hard knocks, but I'm sure he's the same way on the sideline, just kind of thinking the game through at all times and always engaged mentally with it. Um, and that doesn't change from the sideline, trying to figure things out or um, just having little notes on who, you know, Zach Wilson should go to on this play or, or what he should have done on that previous play. But at the same time, being personable because, you know, you still got to play the game. You're under pressure, but you can't let it show. Those things are, are, are vital, I think, to success and being able to, to handle gameplay adjust or game time adjustments. Um, if you don't have that demeanor, you're going to fail at that. And that, that's one of the biggest parts of, of football. It's, it's preparation and then adjusting. Those are the, the, the two mental aspects. You got to prepare like crazy, but then be willing and able to adjust seamlessly on the sideline without egos getting in the way, without. Uh, your your emotions running too high or too low at any given time, and I think Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's my favorite quarterback of all time. I, the the, the go discussions go on and on about it, but this is the reason why I, I look up to him as a quarterback uh, because he exemplifies, I think, the demeanor it takes to succeed at a high level playing quarterback. And I think uh, emulating that will bring a lot of quarterback success. And the Jets, based on what we've seen in Hard Knocks in the preseason with Zach Wilson, they've gone leaps and bounds with his development just under the mentorship of Aaron Rodgers for the last couple of months. Okay, well, let's talk about the breakdown of the type of player that are on these football teams. For the Jets we're talking about? Just in general. I know you wanted to discuss, um, you know, commander, you know, kind of different personalities on the team, who, <laughs> yeah, who takes the, the lead, all, all that stuff. The second great speech from a coach for hard on this season. Yeah, so, I mean – there's there's definitely some some various in who takes the lead, and I, I think those the commander, uh, there's the competitor, the, the bottom of the list. If I'm if I'm skipping one, is the survivor on the team, and, and that we know those guys. At this point in camp, uh, you you've pretty much figured out who the survivors are. And the NFL ranks, they probably won't make the final roster, right? That, that those are the guys. Um, but you have, I think that. The problem is there's competitors that look like commanders, and I think those those are the, the voices in the locker room that, that maybe speak the loudest but don't really have the most influence. Um, I think commanders are more selected. Like you, you have to not only be a competitor, but the team has to respect you in that way to where you can give direction. I don't know that I've ever heard that breakdown. I mean, that's some great leadership conference stuff <laughs> there from, from Hard Knocks. Like, the guys are actually sitting there taking notes, which I thought was cool, but um, – you know, you get to those those levels of players and who the commander is, who the competitors are. You have to have kind of a hierarchy structure. Otherwise, everything gets too noisy. Everybody's talking. Everybody has an input. Um, and nobody's willing to play their role. There's some guys that are just going to have to work hard and never really be recognized for it. Um, usually, it's D-linemen. Right? Aaron Donald's probably one of the, the only D-linemen I can think of off the top of my head that gets the recognition as the commander because he's not, you know, he's vocally the guy that everybody looks up to. 
But for the most part, there's some thankless jobs that, that you end up being a competitor at, but the, just the structure of your locker room. I mean, when Aaron Rodgers enters, right, a lot of people on that roster got knocked down a peg, right? You may have been a commander before Aaron came, but now because of his role, his prestige, you know, he automatically kind of gets that role. And the work ethic, obviously, you know, he has to match that too. But the good teams have it. Um, and there is a structure to whose voice is, is heard and resonates the most. And usually, this is not biased to me, it's usually the quarterback. And if you don't have a quarterback that can assume that role of commander, then your team usually doesn't go far. And that's probably why the, the price and the salary of those guys is, is so high because they do drive a lot of the success that flows throughout the team. I want to ask you about the quarterback who obviously wasn't a commander that they have there, Zach Wilson, because he had that play in the preseason game where the I think it was the defensive coordinator he's like, man, look at Zach run. Isn't that great to see? And Salah's just like no selling it. Just oh, I wish he would have got out of bounds. Where I'm kind of thinking, I don't think Salah likes Zach Wilson. When you're as a player, can you feel sometimes where it's just this coach, maybe it's a position coach, maybe it could be the head coach, but I don't really think this coach likes me. Do you guys ever have that feeling to ask players? I think you definitely do. Now, you might have it more often than it's true. Like, you might think just because it's Coach Riley, and that, you know, that takes some maturity to understand that, um, that sometimes the criticisms or the things that he's saying are just the truth. Like a quarterback, if you want to consider yourself a starter or a viable guy in the NFL, your, your strongest, your, your best ability is availability, right? So as a quarterback, your health is the priority. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of uh, time. There's a lot of things invested in the quarterback position. So, that criticism of Zach Wilson maybe wouldn't have been an indication that he doesn't like me, but somebody who's displayed the immaturity maybe of Zach Wilson in the past, like we've seen, may take it as this coach doesn't like me. Um, and and that's, that's a problem. Either way you slice it, you can't have that kind of disconnect between your coach and your number one player, right? Uh, there has to be some sort of understanding. I think likability does go a long way towards coaching. Like if a coach isn't liked and his messages won't be well received, regardless of how good they are, regardless of how valid they are. Um, so in the case that you're mentioning, Zach Wilson needing to get out of bounds, it's absolutely true. If Zach Wilson doesn't believe for whatever reason that his coach doesn't like him, then he takes that criticism the wrong way and doesn't get better from it. So you can see how relationships play a big role in success for any team sport or any team organization, really. Um, but that's definitely something that you, you as a young player, you, 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 you're quick to go to that first, right? Like, the reason I'm not playing is because my coach doesn't like me. Or the reason I'm not getting the plays called for me is because the coach doesn't like me. But as you grow, you kind of realize your place in the hierarchy and, and are willing to cooperate for the team's good, no matter what the circumstances are. So on the subject, again, of these football player roles on the team, commander, competitor, contender, survivor, is Trey Lance a commander but in a bad situation, or is he all the way at the bottom? He's a survivor for the Niners. I think he, I think just based on the way things have gone for him so far and so quickly in his career, you've got to be looking at him at this point as a survivor. I, I, I mean, and it's not necessarily like a character flaw. It's not something that he's not working at. Um, it's just the position that he's in, right? Like he was drafted with these high expectations, and because he's not meeting them, maybe he's being uh, – scrutinize a little bit more harshly than he would have if he was, let's say, Brock Purdy, who was drafted number seven or in the, you know, at the end of the draft. Um, and the expectations maybe weren't as high. If Brock Purdy's number three, nobody's questioning if he's a survivor or not, it's just based on his own individual work ethic. Uh, Trey Lance could be a hard worker. He could be really talented, but uh, the expectations that we and the Niners placed on him um, when we were okay and kind of hype about the, the prospect and the potential of him at the number three pick. Um, kind of are doing him damage. So he's trying to survive the situation as best he can. 
And unfortunately, he's now number three on the depth chart. Sam Darnold got declared the second guy behind Brock Purdy. And that just wasn't the scenario you would have predicted for Trey Lance. Uh, injury obviously played a part in that. But from all indications, that's not what's happening right now. That's not the reason he's not number one or number two on the depth chart. So I would say right now, for reasons that are maybe out of his control at this point, um, this is not to say he's faultless or he's blameless in this because, you know, he could have stayed an extra year. He could have played more time even at North Dakota State and, and gotten more experience under his belt before getting to the NFL. But at this point, there's nothing he can do about the situation he in but survive it. And hopefully surviving it means he, he gets another opportunity maybe at a different location. Let's mention a little UNLV football again. Uh, Barry Odom radio show starts up next Wednesday at Fowles Cofield and Company, 6 o'clock right here on ESPN Las Vegas Live at 2.15 in Flamingo, the Parkway Tavern at that location. We did a lot of special teams on our podcast last week. For the audience that doesn't know, we uh, do a podcast every week called UNLV All Access Podcast. We did a lot of special teams, and I was kind of wondering, on special teams, can you have players on special teams who are commanders? Absolutely. I mean, if your kicker's the number one guy, he can be a commander. No, I mean, that's probably the least place he was expected from. But there are guys that are just heavy hitters and have a voice on that unit that, that make an impact on the team and that have the respect and command the respect of the team uh, for whatever the reason may be. Um, it, it could be you know something subtle like a, a you know respect that they've achieved in the locker room or something like that because of the, the background where they come from or just the fact that guys appreciate that, hey, this isn't a starter. He's not getting his name in the paper. Nobody's mentioning him, but he comes in and gives 110% every time he's out there. Um, and then guys appreciate that. They respect it. And whether that elevates to the level of commander is is kind of up to the nature of that locker room but there are definitely guys that i can remember in my in my past who their voice on the special teams unit resonated when they were fired up we were fired up i mean bj bell is one of the guys that comes to mind back in the day when i played who was a wedge buster and that was his specialty back when wedges were were legal but we would all get fired up just to watch how enthused he was about running down to blow the wedge up and how physically and violently he approached that aspect of his job and uh, that kind of motivated guys to kind of follow his lead and play with that kind of aggression. So um, they're definitely guys that can have that role, and it's really up to how the locker room receives them. And based on the way what we've seen from Chivas and, and Coach Odom and how they approach special teams, they definitely are willing to have a guy on that unit be a leader and a commander in the locker room for sure. Uh, last 30 seconds, uh, if you check out uh, my Twitter account, at Steve Cofield, at UNLV All Access, there's a bunch of the full press conferences up in recent days and also some press conferences with the running back coach and Cornell Ford and also the guy who could be the lead running back in Senator, as uh, Brendan Marion calls him, Donnie Lester. <laughs> and a lot of what you're talking about in terms of uh, attacking you know, vigorously is what they're looking for from running backs. And the last couple seconds here, is there a guy that, you, that you've seen at running back where you're like, well, that, that could be the guy? I think it would be kind of spot on to say that Lester could be that guy. I think just the thing he's exhibited, some of the preseason recognition that he's got, you know, just before he's even really stepped foot on the Rebel Field at Allegiant Stadium, you know, up for the Earl Campbell Award and on the Senior Bowl watch list, those kind of things where somebody's seeing something and, and this guy has the potential to kind of break that barrier and be the guy, be the workhorse. The system doesn't really dictate that there is a number one running back per se, um, but he is a guy that definitely got some attention and got some potential to be that person, both on and off the field. He's a leader in both aspects, and I wouldn't be surprised if his name emerged uh, towards the end of camp as, as one of those guys. Caleb, we are up against it. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, guys. Appreciate the time.